We've been asking you to write to us with your questions about the city's long-standing problems and what would help you better understand San Francisco. We do read these questions, and in a lot of cases, we're working to answer them. The thing is, it usually takes data to answer the questions that you have, and that data is pretty confusing in its raw state. I've seen some scary code on our team's computer screens. So I actually just learned R, and I'm just now learning the scary stuff that you're seeing on my screen. R being a software. (laughs) (laughs) It's a programming software to analyze data. (laughs) It's very complicated and definitely threw me for like a learning curve. Fortunately, these two people on our team are up for that challenge. I'm Adriana Rizal. I am the data reporter on the SF Next team. I'm Dan Koff. I'm the data editor at the SF Chronicle. And I'm Laura Wenis. This week, how the SF Next team is going about finding the answers to frequently asked questions about the city's longstanding problems and probing all of our assumptions to dispel misconceptions. From the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, this is Fixing Our City. One of Adriana and Dan's first projects was the SF Next Index, a repository of information about important and pressing San Francisco problems. You can find the index pages by heading to sfchronicle.com sfnext. They create new index pages on a rolling basis to correspond with stories our team is producing. I think that this one of the values of this repository of information is everybody can start the conversation with a shared set of facts. What areas were really important to the both of you to look into when it came to, you know, what topics should we cover? I'm actually from the Houston area. So I think the perspective that I kind of gave was like, you know, as someone who's new to the city, what questions do I have about the happenings of San Francisco and what people are talking about? So I think around the newsroom, homelessness was a big topic. Coming back from the pandemic, you know, how businesses are doing, how downtown is doing, and then questions arising that, you know, all these cities, you know, especially my hometown, like we have similar issues. So kind of the questions that I would raise of how San Francisco is dealing with them kind of came from where I'm from as well. I, as the data editor here, I get a lot of people asking me questions all the time about the state of certain you know, trends and things like that. And so I think my perspective that I brought to it was, what are the things that people are saying that, that they don't know about, but they should probably know about to understand the city better? You know, I don't want to totally impose my views on what's important, but I do feel like from my position, I have a conception of like where people's facts might be away from reality. Hmm. Do any examples come to mind? You know, we'll probably keep coming back to homelessness because that's a obviously like a huge, hugely important topic. And I think that people generally think that San Francisco has the highest homelessness rate, in, you know, around. The truth of the matter is that it's a bit more complicated than that, right? It the number of sheltered and unsheltered homeless people in San Francisco is not actually all that different from New York City, right? What's different about San Francisco is the number of unsheltered people. In New York, right, there's a right to shelter. Like, legally, they have to provide people that. In San Francisco, I believe there's been a debate in among the Board of Supervisors about whether they should move to a right to shelter policy. This idea was originally controversial because advocates for homeless people pointed out the city doesn't have nearly enough space to actually offer everyone who's on the street shelter. And if the city were to invest in creating it, that would be a lot of money for something that doesn't do a good job of helping people actually exit homelessness. City-approved tent encampments and congregate shelters aren't great at getting people housed, 
In June, the board did approve a right-to-shelter ordinance that expands the kinds of shelters the city could offer and makes some investments in longer-term housing. But the plan for actually creating those spaces hasn't been made yet, and it's unclear how much this will cost. So I like taking data to give people an opportunity to have a more nuanced view of a subject and like really explain to them, yes, it's true that there's a pretty high homelessness rate here. It's not the most extreme, but here's what's extreme about it. And I think data can play a really important role in explaining that. Yeah. I mean, if you just look at this is why you should go to the data pages because you can see this broken down in graphic form and just look at the proportion of the homeless population in New York City that is sheltered versus the proportion in San Francisco. I mean, it's very eye-opening. I highly recommend going to these pages. Again, those are at sfchronicle.com slash sfnext. So on that topic of homelessness, I think there's a lot of points in there that people may be surprised to read about. For example, the cause that people give for why they're homeless. When you scroll down on this page that's specifically about homelessness and just diving into specific aspects of it, the top cause for why people lost their homes is that they lost their jobs. And that's at 26% of the people surveyed. Did that surprise either of you when you came across that the first time? Yeah, I remember when I moved here, I, you know, I'm almost ashamed to admit this. I thought that the majority of homeless people in San Francisco were people that came from other places. And I think probably a fair number of people are under that impression. That's not true. That's something like 70% of the people that are homeless in San Francisco were housed in San Francisco in the last 10 years. And that's just a really important number to remember that, you know, homelessness, in addition to being a mental health and a drug problem, is really primarily a housing problem. I think another thing that surprised me while looking into the data was that a large portion of the homeless population is aging into homelessness. And so these are people that are over 60. And so when just talking about an overall vulnerable population, you know, people who are much older are more vulnerable as well. Even the basic question, how many people are homeless in San Francisco, has a nuanced answer. There are two main ways to get at this. One is the pit count. This stands for point-in-time count, and that's a descriptive name. People go out on one night and count the number of homeless people they see, then combine it with the number of people in the city's shelters that night. Some of the people counted take a survey about their situation. The other number comes from how many people are in the city's records as having accessed services for the homeless over the course of the year. That number is much higher. Our last pit count showed a bit over 7,700 people, and the service access number showed more than 19,000 people. It also suggests that 48% of people who are homeless have a substance use disorder. In the pit count survey, substance use was only mentioned as a reason for homelessness by about 18% of respondents. I think the second number that you just said about the 48%, that comes from the accessing homelessness services data. And so might be a slightly different population than the people that were asked in the pit count. So now that we have all that complexity out of the way. Well, and there, there's even more on top of that, right? Because it's like, it's it's also people who are seeking services where you might have an overrepresentation of people who have substance use disorders as opposed to people who aren't seeking health services from the city, right? Absolutely. And, and I think that we, you know, we know, and this isn't from data. I mean, obviously, like data is so important. But obviously, reporting is a huge, huge <laughs> part of, you know, combining reporting and data together is where we really learn the most. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that the discrepancy between the percentages that you read is also shown in just in trying to answer how many homeless people are out in San Francisco. And we're talking about how there are different populations of people that are being surveyed. But just answering that question is is really hard because of the data that's available. Yeah. Adriana also looked into a different but related topic, housing. Specifically, she compared housing permits issued across different cities. One stark comparison was between San Francisco and Austin, Texas, another tech hub. Yeah, so we looked at U.S. Census building permit survey data, which was not easy to get a hold of. I don't think the average person could go on the census website or Google the data that we found. I think Dan called it the netherworld of of like building permit data. <laughs> yes. um, but Austin is permitting a lot more residential housing buildings to be built. I want to say like triple? Yeah, three times yeah. as much. Three times as many permits since 2015. Yeah. So quite some time. And I think a lot of people are interested in the question of both in San Francisco and in Austin, how the cities compare. And Austin has been even though they have been building more and permitting more, that doesn't mean that rents have gone down or that mm-hmm. rents are not expensive because they very much are. I studied in Austin and in the three years that I was there, I saw rents rise. Did anyone offer explanations for why the rents have not you know, plummeted in this list of almost 10 cities that build more housing per capita than San Francisco does? One of the explanations that I was hearing from experts was that the type of housing that's being built is kind of concentrated around larger building complexes that have more buildings and more units. And those tend to be luxury buildings that are more expensive. Mm. Because developers have to make their money back on, on the investment in the project. Right. And I think that one of the biggest roadblocks that people talked about for San Francisco is that regulations and fees and things kind of make it unfeasible for developers to find it worth building if they're not building enough units to kind of follow up with that cost. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that, you know, it's hard to know whether Austin's like real estate prices would have shot up even more, right? And my background before again data was in economics and like, you know, so I, I just want to caution against the uh, just like, causal. Trust you know, no simple <laughs> takeaways. Everything's complicated. Yeah, correlation versus causation yes. kind of thing. And like I do, I do think Austin's rental prices probably would have gone up more without that housing, but it's hard to know as because Adriana is saying is that like, if so much of the building is happening at the very high end and like being built for people who make a lot of money, you know, that that doesn't help as much as, you know, being able to have lower income housing. Sometimes a question really doesn't have a satisfying answer in the data alone. So we have to combine data with other reporting. One of the big things that comes to mind is with crime trends. We'll get into that after a break. Part of our work on the SF Next project is to try to dig into the stuff that really gets San Franciscans riled up and find out as much as we can. Adriana Rizal, the SF Next team's data reporter, and Dan Kopp, the Chronicle's data editor, have been down some pretty intense rabbit holes. Case in point, we kept hearing that San Francisco has a problem with people pooping on the streets. Producer Cynthia Lopez and I went out to investigate what the city's doing about that. Is that poop? (laughs) Let's investigate more closely. No, that's definitely poop. The episode is from August 23rd, if you missed it. But Adriana helped us figure out where to go and wrote her own story using data. 
The thing is, there's no way to know for sure one of the key points in that reporting. So San Francisco actually is pretty, has a lot of data available, especially like city level data. So uh, we looked at 311 calls through SF Open Data. And to find poop related calls specifically, you have to kind of filter for human or animal waste related calls, which made things complicated because we're obviously looking into like human waste calls, but it's not really something that you can. Wait, sorry. So the only category available is human or animal waste one category you cannot filter human versus animal yeah and i would assume that that's because as a caller calling in i don't know if this is human or animal waste yeah so i think that's like it's it's you know it feels a little silly but it's a really important question if we're as analysts right if we're trying to as we are understand how have certain policies affected human waste we can't just look at the data we have to like call up the people that are familiar with how this data is collected and say, hey, do you know, is it mostly human waste? Is it mostly animal waste? And they may not know. And then we have to sort of present that here's what we found, but we're not really sure 100% what this is telling us. And But we'll do our best to explain it to you. I wonder if you both have other thoughts about unknowable things or things that we don't have data about in San Francisco. Obviously, we want to respond to what people want to know. Are there other things that people have asked you to look into or that you've been curious about where you've just found like, eh, there isn't really good data on this? One of the big things that comes to mind is with crime trends. That's one of the really hot topics around data in San Francisco because over the last several years, overall crime, particularly property crime, has fallen in the reported numbers in San Francisco, which is a a bit against what a lot of people say they've experienced or believe or feel. About crime stats, overall crime is a pretty vague metric because certain offenses only have a few instances and others have a ton, and that can skew the picture. Overall crime is up 8% compared to this time last year, But most of that change is attributable to larceny thefts, of which there are tens of thousands of instances a year. Human trafficking was slashed nearly in half because there were 15 fewer cases. Longer term, both violent and property crime had been falling before the pandemic. Property crime rose in the last couple of years and has been rising lately, but didn't catch up to pre-pandemic incidents. Which is not to say it isn't high relative to other cities. Among the 10 most populous cities in California, San Francisco's property crime rate is second only to Oakland. We can compare all these numbers, but what's harder to say is what those numbers actually tell us. It's always very complex to talk to people about, okay, well, here's what the data says. And what we don't know in reality is not every single crime is is reported, right? So Mm -hmm. it's possible that crime is being reported at lower rates than it was several years ago because people feel there's no point in it. Maybe they don't believe that the police will respond to certain types of crime because they've seen that they haven't. It also may be that crime really is down and reported crime is the same as the number of crimes that are reported is the same as it was 10 years ago. We just simply don't know that. And so all we can do is report the data and say, You know, experts that we speak to will say we don't have any reason to believe that the number of crimes that are reported is going down. So we say that to our audience. But it is very complex when people feel that the opposite is happening. 
So you're saying people feel that the proportion of crimes that is reported is going down while the number of crimes that are occurring is going up. And experts are saying we don't actually have reason to believe that. Yeah. I mean, I think experts are just cautious, like because when people report their feelings, that could have all sorts of reasons for why those feelings happen. So when you tell people that the official data goes against what they're perceiving, you know, they'll often bring up these possible caveats, but experts don't say that those caveats are definitely happening. So we have to say that. Yeah, it's hard to say that anything's definitely happening, except, of course, I mean, I think that I probably speak for all of us by saying that's not to say that any individual who has experienced crime, that their experience is invalid. We're not trying to argue with that. It's just that it's hard to get hard numbers to show some of the things that people might be experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think just reiterating the point that this is like data that is being reported by another person. I mean, you can look at like police data and what people are reporting, but we kind of combine all of these sources to kind of create the best picture that we can. And of course, in interviewing experts and running what we found by them is how, you know, we can try to paint a picture. But at the end of the day, it's kind of a a collection of all these things and not always as satisfying, I think, as people want. Another interesting point is that the crime rates across the city will look higher where there are more police. So sometimes people will just report a crime, Mm. but sometimes a crime will be observed by the police and those also go into the data. And so wherever there is more police, it's more likely that they will catch a crime happening. Right. Crime was one of the top three issues named by San Francisco residents who participated in an opinion survey that the Chronicle's SF Next project conducted this year. You may have seen some of the stories that came out of that. Among them, very few people were impressed with our public officials' performances. This was a pretty scientific poll, with more than 1,600 participants randomly selected. People have noticed, and several have asked us, why not just release the raw survey results for everyone to see and analyze? Yeah. So first of all, we want to continue to do a little bit more analysis of it ourselves before letting everyone else at it, and though we eventually hope to do that. One of the other things is that it's not really that simple to analyze with survey data. And when you're trying to make the results be accurate to the different demographics of the city, you have to use survey weights. Basically, you have to count certain people more than others. You might need to count a, you know, older Latinx woman as three times more than a white male in their 40s. And you might have to count them as 0.4 because so many of them answered the survey compared to that other group. And so when we put the data out, we have to sort of like give people directions. We have to give them the absolute raw data and with a lot of documentation. And that just takes a lot of work. Yeah. One of the things that's come up is people not quite knowing what to make of this category fair. And Dan, if you could just quickly explain, like, what did fair mean when when we gave that as an option of like an assessment of elected officials' performance? Sure. Yeah. We worked with this political science professor, John Krosnick from Stanford University on this poll. And I, I and frankly, I was also surprised that we sort of offered fair. And, and he explained to me that, you know, the best practice in public opinion polling now is to give people five 
numbers or groupings to be able to, for them to say, okay, five is the best or one is the worst and three is, you know, the middle. Like, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's not good or bad or just sort of the middle. And in this case, fair represents that sort of three. And it's not supposed to be taken as positive or negative. It's just the middle one. The big old shrug. Yeah. Uh-huh. And who is choosing that option fair? Because it's a pretty big, <laughs> it's a fair number of people. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I liked doing with the data was cross-referencing how certain people who answered one question, how do they answer another question? So in terms of looking at who was responding, we especially for government entities, we found that a lot of people reported knowing little or nothing about what that government entity was doing. And so that was another question that we had in the survey that we were able to cross-reference. But the people who reported knowing a great deal about what these government entities were doing, they were more likely to say that they were doing a very poor or poor job. There's a story that you just published, Adriana, about income inequality, or I think it's income inequality, right? Not wealth inequality? Well, the survey asked about the wealth gap. So Uh overall, I'm writing about economic inequality because data on wealth is hard to come by and just not publicly available. So we're looking at data for income inequality in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the more interesting findings was that Black San Franciscans, you know, respondents in the survey were the most likely to say that the wealth gap is an issue that needs to be fixed in the city. 85% of Black survey respondents said income inequality is a problem that needs to be fixed. There were some differences across racial identities on this question, but still, a common takeaway. White respondents were the second most likely to say that it was an issue, you know, despite being not as vulnerable in the city. And I think that, you know, in speaking to experts, it, it was just the conclusion was that across the board, San Franciscans can see income inequality as being an issue, especially with an overall 76 percent of respondents saying that it's visible it's a problem and there needs to be a solution to kind of close that gap. You know, I thought it was interesting that, Adriana, you also went the next level and and analyzed how does San Francisco compare to, you know, other large cities in the country. Yeah. San Francisco's richest, which is people who make more than 95 percent of the rest of the population, make 11 times more than people who are at the bottom 20 percent. So that's people who make more than only 20 percent of the population as far as household income goes. And so we were behind huge cities like New York and Chicago. But also when looking at just the average household income, San Francisco's richest made the most money out of all the other cities. So we were in the 500,000s of household income for the 95th percentile. And then for the bottom, we were the highest as well, around $50,000 a year. It's just this conversation of the wages are high compared to, you know, other cities, but there's still an issue of affordability because of the the gap and just inequality in general. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of negative stuff in this poll. What is something that San Franciscans were jazzed about in this survey? So I thought it was interesting that the school board was like the harshest rated among the other all four government entities, but people were generally more positive about their local schools. So I just think that it's a conversation of, you know, people seeing that separation Yeah. You know, when I first went through the survey results, I was looking for things where people said positive stuff because there was so much negativity. And I did find one. And people were generally very positive about the street services of the bridges. So like the Golden Gate Bridge (laughs) and the Bay Bridge, they thought the street services were good. How on earth did so many people get so specific that that stood out? So 
Actually, I don't know why exactly, but that is one of the questions that we asked in the survey <laughs> was about the different services of the roads. Oh, okay. Um, across, so both like services of roads in San Francisco, about the Muni, about the train. So basically we were trying to get at like, are the roads good? Mm. Uh, which is really important to a lot of people. And and in the, the course of asking those questions, we also asked about the Bridges roads. And people were like, oh yeah, Bridges roads, just, those are really good. Okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> What's happening next with the poll? What else should listeners and readers look out for in terms of more material that's going to come out of this? Yeah, I I think we've done sort of the top level findings, right? So the summary statistics for different questions. But there is another level to go about, you know, can we can we say more about exactly who it is and the characteristics that cause people to be sort of upset with the situation in the city? Can we do, you know, in the statistical language, a multivariate analysis and look for, you know, if we know somebody's age and we know their income, which one of those two things is actually more important for indicating whether somebody is unhappy with the city. So that's sort of the next level at which we want to take things. Thank you both for the work that you do and for talking with me about it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. You can find the stories and data analysis we've been talking about at sfchronicle.com slash sfnext. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, where we explore how the city will chart its future and address its biggest challenges. And we want to check out your ideas. Do you have a solution that you want the city to pursue? Do you know someone who's making a difference on an important issue? Send an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com. You can also DM us on Twitter we're at SF Next. I'm Laura Wenis. Next time on Fixing Our City. When you vote for a city office, you don't just pick a candidate. You're asked to pick your favorite candidate, then your second favorite, and your third, and so on. How ranked choice voting works and why we have it, that's next week. Cynthia Lopez produces and reports for Fixing Our City. Gary Baca is our sound engineer. King Kaufman is the executive producer. Jonathan Krim is the SF Next project editor. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, exploring how the city will shape its future and tackle its biggest problems. Read stories by our reporters, check out interactive data breakdowns, and find our podcast archive at sfchronicle.com sfnext. If you have a solution you'd like us to cover or you know about a city that's doing something right, get in touch. Shoot an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com or find us on Twitter at sfnext.